Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. But before we jump in, I'm always keen to hear from my listeners. And my inbox is open to you on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Right, let's get into it. At the end of this month, October, Glasgow hosts the much-anticipated UN Climate Change Conference, better known as COP26. It takes stock on the progress made since the Paris Agreement in 2015, and governments around the world are expected to step up their commitments to reduce greenhouse gases, protect vulnerable regions, mobilise climate funding, enhance international collaboration, and so on. Here with me to talk about this treasure trove of potential climate stories for journalists is James Farn. He's a lecturer at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism, an experienced journalist and author on climate change topics, and the executive director of Internews' Earth Journalism Network, which trains journalists from developing countries to cover the environment better. He offers a cheat sheet of sorts for journalists, what you need to know going in, what is really at stake, and what developments to really keep your eye on. Climate is a beat that is gradually permeating through many desks in the newsroom, so if you find yourself talking about the topic this month and next, this is a great starting point. All that's to come after this. Find out how to grow your audience and create new revenue for your newsroom at our next digital journalism conference, News Rewired. We have four days of expert panels and workshops kicking off from the 19th of October, and you don't want to miss out. Book your ticket now by visiting newsrewired.com, and we'll see you there. James, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Um, can you give our listeners a snapshot of what your working situation is like at the moment? My working situation? Thank you for having me, Jacob, on the show. Um, we, uh, I'm based in Berkeley, California, where I operate or supervise a global network of journalists dedicated to improving coverage of climate change and environmental issues. We have over 14,000 journalists in our network. So it's, as you can tell, it's a big decentralized operation. We have also have staff scattered all around the world. We, a lot of our emphasis is on working with journalists in low and middle income countries. So uh, we are kind of a, a global virtual organization uh, with a wonderful team of of people working to improve our, our understanding of these important issues. I see. So when when the world went shifted to working from home, that was uh, another day in the office for you then, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. We were set up to to operate decentralized and virtually, yes. Great. All's fine then, going smoothly, or or how are you finding it at the moment? Oh, it's never smooth, right? But there's <laughs> always challenges. Uh, I mean, we because uh, traditionally, a lot of our work had involved in-person training workshops, capacity building activities, fellowships, things like that. Um, and so all our capacity building work basically had to go online. As you can imagine, we do a lot of webinars and virtual workshops now, and I think we've adjusted pretty well, but it, no doubt it has been an adjustment and things are, you know, it's, things are not the same. And, and there's a big adjustment for journalists everywhere. They're used to being able to travel to get out and about to report and interview people. And that's obviously much harder now. So it has been a challenge. Great. So um, walk me through that editorial mission there that you that you touched on there to sort of train journalists in developing countries to cover the environment a bit more effectively. Yeah, well, we believe that um, it's absolutely crucial to have 
good local media coverage of environment and climate issues. Uh, we believe that's where you get impact from. Uh, I was a journalist myself for a decade working in Southeast Asia covering environment and climate issues for a local newspaper and TV station in Thailand. And, um, and so when we set up the Earth Journalism Network, when Inchinu set it up back in 2004, that was our mission really, is to get more stories about the environment, about climate change and related issues into the local media, in local languages, in ways that people could understand, the public could understand, policymakers could understand and get more solutions out too. So uh, so we do that through a variety of ways. I'm happy to talk in more detail. Training capacity building is hugely important, uh, not just for journalists in, in developing countries, but everywhere. Um, and so is content production. So we also do quite a lot of support for producing actual stories of all kinds, feature stories, investigative stories. Awesome. Great to hear it. As you said, your, your focus is on developing countries. How have you kind of seen the, uh, I suppose, attention to the climate beat change uh, over the course of your time with uh, EJN, um, it, talking here more about the mainstream media? How have you seen that evolve over, over time? Oh, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, but going back to 1990, when I first started working as a journalist myself, I mean, back then, I mean, there were some excellent journalists doing wonderful work, insightful work back then. So I don't want to make it seem like that wasn't the case. But, you know, oftentimes the mainstream media treated environment like as an interesting feature story, as a you know, story about nature, maybe, or interesting animals or interesting places. Um, now, fast forward, now it is a front page story. It's, you know, it's it's leading a lot of major media outlets, news coverage. It's, you know, we get we, we have so much more coverage and so much better coverage for, for a variety of reasons. It certainly ebbed and flowed a lot over the years, uh, especially climate change coverage. Sometimes it has you know, increase when there are big major climate summits and then the coverage drops off and so on. But or I would say, especially over the last five years, we've seen uh, a big improvement in coverage by mainstream media around the world. One main thing that has happened is that I don't think there's as much question anymore about whether climate change is, is happening. You know, back 10, 30, 20, even 10 years ago, People were still denying that climate change was happening and, you know, denying that humans were causing it. And uh, and me media outlets were were giving space and time to deniers. Uh, I And, you know, even though 97 percent of climate scientists uh, agreed that climate change is happening, being caused by humans, uh, there was a lot of space given to the other side, which uh, was something we called false balance. We always have to be skeptical about everything, but uh, I think today there's much more acceptance within the media that climate change is happening, it's being caused by humans. So that's been a huge and important shift. And now, especially in recent years, we've seen a lot more, uh, the impacts of climate change have become a lot more obvious, especially through extreme weather events. And so you're seeing uh, increasing coverage as a result of that as well. Hmm. So I guess you could put that in the buckets of one, I guess, calling climate change what it is. I mean, we've seen news organizations really take that stance, but I guess two, a greater attention on sort of veracity of sources and actually 
um, balance, balanced journalism when it comes to the climate beat then is what you're saying. Yeah. Is giving, you know, uh, making sure that the people who, who speak about climate change have strong expertise that they, you know, that they're not necessarily speaking for vested interest or, you know, representing, uh, viewpoints, uh, that they're not representing viewpoints out of proportion to what our real full understanding of the science is. Indeed, COP26 is a widely anticipated event and attention on the subject of climate change is really at fever pitch, given how impactful the Paris conference was in 2015. It gave rise to the Paris Agreement, which is a landmark international treaty that was adopted by nearly every nation in 2015 to address climate change and its negative impacts. Its goal is to limit global warming to well below 2, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. So all the focus now is on how well has the world stuck to that goal in six years and what action is really needed next. Back to James. It's, you know, Glasgow was supposed to be, the the COP26 climate summit was supposed to be held in Glasgow in 2020. It was always meant as a five-year follow-up to the landmark Paris Agreement um, from 2015. And uh, the idea was, you know, the countries would make their initial commitments in 2015, and then in 2020 they ramp up their commitments. So, uh, you know, so uh, part of our job as journalists is to see well, have those commitments uh, actually been lived up to? Uh, and that's something that I think journalists everywhere should be covering uh, within their own countries and their own communities. But for this summit in Glasgow, now we need to see what countries are willing to commit to now? What is the increased ambition, especially now that we've seen the impacts are seem to be coming, you know, sooner and stronger than was even initially predicted. So it's more, you know, it's more urgent than ever that, um, you know, journalists be able to, to report on what their countries are doing about it, what they're planning to do. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of coverage at the summit, certainly on the negotiations itself, that is obviously key. And, those, and a lot of those this negotiations take place behind closed doors, obviously. So covering that can be a challenge. You get tips from from various sources, from the delegates or negotiators. But there's so much else that goes on at these summits as well. I mean, it's it's and, and at least during normal times, it's a huge climate change information marketplace. And there's so many side events and and speakers and panels and and things going on every topic related to climate change. So for journalists, it's a huge opportunity to cover the topic, to um, to report on it in a prominent way for your media outlet, because media outlets do give them more prominence to cover climate change than they might on other times. But it's also uh, almost like an immersion course for these journalists who, uh, uh, especially if they haven't you know, been widely exposed to before. They're going to learn anything and everything they want to know about climate change. Yeah, lots of lots of great points in there. I just wonder if you can give our listeners, I guess, a cheat sheet to uh, COP26 in terms of like, um, you know, what they really need to know going in, what's really at stake and what are the key developments um, to really keep keep their eye on? Well, the key thing to keep your eye on is the commitments, the nationally determined uh, contributions that each country will uh will commit themselves to at the COP. And, 
you know, uh, some some countries have already announced some things. Some will kind of slowly leak out their commitments as they get closer to the end. And, you know, it's all a complex negotiation. Countries want to, you know, want to make a, st a strong offer, but, it, or, but maybe not too strong, whatever. So there's a lot, as you can imagine, that countries consider. So we need to keep our eye on that, um, certainly, as to what the commitments are and ultimately what those commitments will mean. So if, they, if the countries live up to these commitments, how much will that reduce? global warming. So if they say they will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by a certain percentage by a certain year, uh, then if all those commitments are taken together, uh, what will that mean for us in the future? Will we reach the target of uh, keeping uh, uh, global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius increase? And that is a, you know, a crucial target that was identified in Paris. And right now, the commitments that were made in Paris don't get us really even close to that. It was a start. It was a good start, no doubt about it. But we're going to need to keep, in, uh, the countries will need to keep in increasing their ambition to reach that target. But there are certainly other things that uh, journalists and, and the public should keep their eye on. There's, um, you know, especially climate finance mechanisms. Uh, developed countries uh, kind of made a commitment to contribute $100 billion every year to uh, fighting climate change uh, internationally. And uh, I think the consensus is they haven't lived up to that commitment. So will will those commitments now be forthcoming? And there are also arguments about <laughs> what those commitments should entail. Are they, you know, grants, loans, whatever. So there's a lot of details there to, 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 to check out. Um, there are other other mechanisms. Uh, they're about you know an adaptation fund, issues like loss and damage. Will will countries be compensated for the damages caused by climate change? Um, so there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting because on one hand this is a scientific event, on the other hand it's also a deeply political event. So I'm just wondering where you see that that tension and how much kind of focus to afford on on each end of that. Where do you where do you kind of see that? playing out well it it is a political event ultimately because uh the country is making these commitments in order to do so they have to that, that's there's a lot of politics involved there's a lot of stakeholders whose interests are at stake and uh so they're you know each country is carefully weighing what it can live what they can promise and what it can live up to and that's a, ultimately a very political situation but in order to understand what all those commitments mean, you have to understand the technical side as well. And, and it's such a huge and complex thing. I don't know if anyone can understand everything technically, but uh, you, you need to be able to, to uh, integrate the technical side, the science side in order to understand how the politics are playing out. Right. Right. So where, where do you potentially see some of those pitfalls being then some of those misunderstandings, some of the confusion? Um, well, ultimately, you know, as we saw in Paris, a lot of it comes down to uh, the interplay between the two largest emitters, uh, China and the U.S. Um, and, you know, the fact that relations are not good between the two countries now is a real problem. Uh, one of the keys that people agree to the success of the Paris Agreement was that actually China and the U.S. at that time before the summit got together they made some 
basic agreements about how things were going to go. And I think that eased the way, ultimately, not that it was easy, but it smoothed the way ultimately to an agreement that could be reached. Uh, I think there have been efforts between China and the U.S. to see that something similar can happen this year. I know John Kerry, the U.S. climate envoy, has visited visited China, discussed it. It doesn't sound like negotiations have gone very well. But we're going to, you know, certainly the relationship between those two key players is going to be key. For COP26, the Earth Journalism Network is collaborating with The Scotsman, a print and online daily news publication owned by JPI Media, predominantly covering, you guessed it, Scotland. This will give reporters from Nigeria, Brazil, Bangladesh, Tunisia, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, Ukraine, the Philippines, India, Nepal, Ghana and Kenya the chance to get bylines in the Scottish newspaper and website. The idea is actually to give Scottish readers a refreshing change of perspective. James tells us more. We're really pleased to be able to join with the Scotsman, one of the premier newspapers in the UK and certainly in in Scotland, um, to uh, collaborate on improving climate coverage. So uh, as part of uh, Internews' efforts for COP26, we've joined together with another partner called the Stanley Center for Peace and Security to uh, support the Climate Change Media Partnership, the CCMP, as we call it. And this every year, the CCMP brings journalists from low and middle income countries to the summits to help them cover it. And that's especially important this year because it's so difficult for people to travel. So the CCMP, Internews, and the Stanley Center, we're bringing a journalist, we're bringing 22 journalists from the developing world to, to Scotland. And there they will cover the summit for their local media outlets, which, we, again, we think is the most crucial thing. But several of them, many of them will also uh, produce stories for the Scotsman so that the readers of the Scotsman can understand better what is happening in regards to climate change in other parts of the world, maybe in countries where they don't normally hear about a lot. And they can, so the audiences in the UK can get a better understanding of how climate change is severely impacting people elsewhere and what what is being done about it, what could be done about it. That's that's super interesting. So they're kind of bringing that back home. How have they been briefed and what kind of advice and training have they been they've been given then? The journalists. Mm, Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, we've prepared a whole bunch of resources, uh, which we're going to share much more widely, of course, but things tips on how to cover climate change, how to cover the summit, how to uh, cover other aspects of climate change, like the recently released uh, IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is this hugely important group of scientists that comes out with their assessments uh, on the, the latest understandings, uh, scientific understanding of climate change. So journalists need to understand what is the latest science and how to how to explain that to their readers. So we offer them all kinds of resources uh, we're doing a virtual workshop next week for the fellows to get them ready. And this includes things like how how to help improve coverage of climate change in general, but also how to cover the COP itself. There's a very technical, uh, you know, there are all these subsidiary bodies and technical committees, and you need to understand all the acronyms and everything. So we'll be explaining that, but also just more generally, how do you take this complex global issue and turn it into a local story that your audiences will understand and and engage with and and what's the magic answer to that question 
Uh, the magic answer is often to, you know, make it uh, an interesting story about people and how climate change is actually affecting local people. What are what are people doing about it? You know, make it real for people through 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 the human interest angle. Or it doesn't just have to be about humans. It could be about uh, biodiversity, about uh, animals or, or important places uh, or about livelihoods. But, you know, again, taking what could be just an abstract, acronym-laden, uh, complex topic and turning it into a local story that everyone can understand. Yeah, yeah. Given that that human that human element is is obviously obviously key there. When we talk about climate, I mean, ahead of these talks, we could see the prognosis perhaps being a little bit bleak. How do we need to think about audiences here and the impact that will have on them? Um, you know, uh, informing them but not scaring them to death with potentially really negative uh, news here. It is definitely a challenge, uh, Jake. I'm not going to lie. I mean. You know, our job as journalists, we need to be honest and, and open about the the prospects and, and what the science is telling us is not encouraging. We know that the greenhouse gases, especially carbon dioxide that we're emitting, it lasts in the atmosphere for a long time. So what we're seeing today is a result of emissions from 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. And that means a lot of the impacts of warming and climate change are already baked into our atmosphere and we know the situation's going to continue to to worsen over the next 30 years but we do have a chance now to really make uh, a dent in these emissions and we do uh, I think it's important not to get too discouraged I do I do hear these messages of 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 uh de- depression and discouragement not just from you know from my own students and my own family and uh you know but i think it's important to to see that there's optimism out there that we have had these huge changes not just in the media but in all sectors of society much more awareness now about climate change is much more political action there's much more willingness to do stuff we don't know yet how that is going to play out obviously there's obviously still a lot more that needs to be done but i think it would be wrong and defeating to kind of to, to kind of give in now, to give up now, uh, when there is a chance. We have we have seen huge uh, progress, especially when you think about renewable energy. Even 10 years ago, we weren't sure, you know, what we could afford to switch to, you know, renewable energy, solar and wind power. But since then, the price of these, of this uh, renewable energy has come down dramatically. And that has made, has changed so much. Now we, we know we can afford, we know that new renewable energy power plants can be cheaper than coal. So there's so much opportunity now. I think if we can just, you know, get this global economy to, you know, change course, then, then I think there is, there is huge opportunity and, and, and reason for optimism. Great. So, I mean, I kind of take from that honesty and, and, and reflected the progress that society is making. Despite doing that though, there are, you know, climate skeptics, there are climate deniers, Mm-hmm. A word or two on perhaps how to strategize and reach out to those those people. What to do about that? Well, it's tough. I don't. You know. I mean. I think you need to uh, obviously as a, as a, a journalist and someone who's you know focused on science, we need to present them with the facts and need to show them the studies as best we can and explain what the science is telling us. Um, 
I think it's important not to be patronizing or demeaning or condescending. Uh, you know, people are not worried, not just about climate change, but if they're in an industry, their work, their livelihood depends on fossil fuels or on agriculture or on logging or other, you know, resource extraction industries. I mean, they're worried about their livelihoods and that's totally understandable. Uh, so we need to think about how they're going to adjust and how, how we're going to help them, you know, through a transition in, in the economy as well. So I, I think it, you know, I don't think, I don't think it ever helps to, to be demeaning or, you know, you've got to understand where people are coming from. They're scared, not just about climate change, but again, about their livelihoods, their well-being, their families. And uh, it's not easy. This is the world's largest industry we're talking about, basically. It's not going to happen overnight, obviously. But um, we need to, you know, bit by bit, try and explain the situation. We, you know, we made maybe not such large transitions in the past, but we've made transitions in the past. We've gone from dirtier fuels to cleaner fuels. It can be done now. We know it's affordable we just but we have to to make it happen and we have to explain to people why why it's necessary yeah so i mean i kind of take from that go direct to the concerns and and do so in a way that isn't patronizing takes that on board and and addresses those you know kind of head on really absolutely who covers climate well and and um that's not restricted to the mainstream media who's who have you seen that that does it really well in your eyes oh boy uh there are lots of of great websites out there besides all the usual uh, mainstream media, I, I probably don't need to mention them. There, there are a lot of great mainstream media that now do a good job, but there are sites out there like Info Amazonia is a wonderful site that covers the Amazon region and, and all that's happening there. There's the third pole in South Asia covers the Himalayan region. That's one of the major areas of change. Uh, there are other sites like um, uh, Ox Peckers in Southern Africa, Info Nile in East Africa, um, the Mekong Eye in, in the Mekong region, Equatorial in Indonesia. We, you know, admittedly, we help a lot of these sites and uh, they're deserving of support because they do excellent work. What's the one skill that you need to do your job day to day, you think, above all else? Communication. I need to, we, you know, we work with so many partners, so many staff. We need to understand what their needs are, what the media needs, what the journalists need, what our partners need, and and be able to respond to that. And you know, even when it's when it's difficult. Yeah. And do you have one tip on being a better communicator? Uh, empathy. Uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes. I don't think it's a secret. Um, you know, I think that is really the key to to good relationships. James, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to, to seeing what comes out of it. Really great to speak to James about this vital topic. A few takeaways come to mind. Much has been said about the parallels between covering COVID-19 and climate change. Both are inherently scientific subjects, which have local impacts, but the solutions to them play out on a national stage. What we've seen with COVID is that stories which cut through the politics and shine a light on the human efforts have been an equally important part of media coverage, if nothing else, for audiences' mental health. With COP26, yes, the politics will be a huge and integral part of the developments, but it's important not to get so wrapped up about it that we forget about the human element too. Those are the stories I'll be looking out for, for sure. 
If you like what you heard today, you can find all our podcast episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature on the show, please do drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.